Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations, indeed, have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body. But they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good evening. If you've just joined us, uh, we're in a mini-series of sermons based on the, the letter of the Apostle Paul to the Colossians. And we're thinking about what it means to be built up as disciples. This talk, tonight's talk, is entitled Freedom in Christ. And it's about living as free men and women who are, not, who are drawn by grace and not driven by rules, man-made rules and regulations. Last Sunday, uh, we were in the first half of Colossians chapter 2, uh, reflecting on the sufficiency of Jesus' sacrifice for us on the cross and Paul's teaching that in Christ we have all that we need for salvation. This evening we're thinking about freedom, that wonderful freedom that we have in Christ, that, uh, uh, that steadfast freedom, the greatest of gifts, uh, but we know that there are those who would deprive us of that gift, try and remove it from us, and that's as true in the secular world as it is in our spiritual lives. But before we get into that, let's just pray for a moment. Lord Jesus, there are times when we feel like anything but free. Come among us tonight, and by your Holy Spirit, reveal to us the freedom that we enjoy in you. Amen. The fact that Jesus has already done all that is needed for our salvation is quite hard for those of us to take on board who have grown up in this achievement-based world of ours. Um, I must confess that, uh, for, uh, that even after I committed my life uh, to Jesus, it took me a long time to realize uh, what it means to be saved by grace. Well, it means that on the cross, Jesus Christ paid the full price for our sins. It means that our friendship with God has been restored, and it means that we have assurance of eternal life. But it's all been paid for. It's all done. And there's absolutely nothing that you and I can do to add or to contribute to our salvation. It's called salvation by grace. And that means not only release from the punishment that we deserve for our past wrongdoing, but also freedom from any requirement to observe Old Testament-style man-made rituals and regulations. And that's because Jesus bought for us, brought to us a greater new covenant freedom, um, revealed, which was sealed by his blood, and which was, which was instituted at the Last Supper when he said, do this, in remembrance of me. Many of us this evening, and some of us listening online, uh, can testify that how when we 
committed our lives to Jesus. Uh, we rejoiced in a new freedom, not only from the burden of past sins, not only from the requirement of legalistic um, um, rules and regulations, but also from the need to be solitary believers, solitary Christians. The Bible says that God places the solitary in families. And this takes on a special significance when we find our place within the body of the family of a local church. From the very beginning, Jesus formed his followers into bodies of believers. It is upon the rock of the faith of those believers that Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What a wonderful saying. And through the centuries, wherever the gospel has been preached, their churches have sprung up. On my two mission trips to Tanzania, I saw for myself how churches came into being when pastor evangelists went out to remote communities and formed new groups of believers into churches. And some of these churches that I visited didn't even have buildings. The people met under trees or under sort of temporary shelters. Miracles happen when God's people gather in fellowship to worship him, to pray for each other, to share the word of God, and to break bread together. And it is within the church family that we, more than anywhere else, that we discover that Christian freedom is not just freedom from, but it's freedom to. As, or as Paul puts it in Galatians, uh, you, brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, but rather serve one another humbly in love. But in today's reading from Colossians, the Apostle Paul warns us that both our freedom from and our freedom to can be stolen by those that he calls false teachers. That means anyone who tries to persuade Christians that their faith is somehow deficient or incomplete and that additional devotions and practices and sacrifices, etc., are needed to ensure their salvation. And in our text, Paul highlights three, three of these that, things that he objects to, food, food laws and um, religious festivals and the worship of angels. And in a moment, we'll get back to those. But first, whenever Paul or one of the other New Testament writers addresses a topic, I find it really helpful to find out what Jesus has to say on that. And, you know, I found that Jesus has an awful lot to say about freedom. Uh, at the very start of his ministry, the beginning of his ministry, in Luke chapter 4, we read how Jesus went to the local synagogue and he picked up the, the scroll of Isaiah and he read, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind and to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then in John chapter 8, 
Um, he says to the Jews, he, and I quote here, to the Jews who believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And later on, a little bit later, he says, when the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Then in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11, uh, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm, 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 I'm gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But Jesus was very tough on the scribes and Pharisees who um, enforced all kinds of religious rules and regulations on God's people. And of them, he said, they tie up heavy burdens, heavy and cumbersome loads, and put them on other people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. That's, you'll find that in Matthew 23. Well, in the light of that, let's go back to Galatians and some of these practices that um, Paul struggled with. First, Paul, uh, and, uh, Paul pronounces, uh, he denounces, sorry, Paul denounces excessive and obsessive um, attention that is given to religious festivals. And he mentions particularly the New Moon Festivals and the Sabbath celebrations. Those of us who've traveled overseas uh, may have seen spectacular religious festivals. Uh, and in parts of the Christian church as well, we have huge, noisy, and colorful celebrations on feast days and saints days and so on. Um, but even here in the Church of England, uh, particularly in our cathedrals, there are often magnificent um, services featuring processions and choirs and gorgeous vestments and carefully choreographed movements involving lots of clergy and acolytes. And you know, these are wonderful, actually, so long as the gospel and Jesus Christ are kept front and central. But you know, we all know that elaborate celebrations have a way of taking on a life of their own. And that, in the words of Paul, in, in, in our reading, can become uh, disconnected from the head. They just lose the plot, really. I spend some days each month uh, working as a, or serving as a day chaplain at Southwark Cathedral. Day chaplains lead hourly prayers from the front uh, to remind visitors that the cathedral is first and foremost a house of prayer. We also seek to engage them personally and, and to, um, uh, they come to admire our building and uh, its contents and they come to major services and so on and we try and talk to them about what they are. In fact, our goal is to turn visitors into pilgrims. Now, most of those that come through the cathedral doors um, are not committed Christians. Uh, mainly, they come, as I said, as sort of spectators. Now, the evangelical um, day chaplains love the cathedral because it provides us with a splendid setting and some visual aids to discuss life and death and the greatness of God's love 
and what Jesus has done for us. And, uh, we, and adding, and eventually we can drive home all that what Paul says in verse 17 of our reading, that all these, this pomp and ceremonies that, that we have are a mere shadow of the reality that awaits us, but that the reality, that reality can be found now in the person of Jesus Christ. Secondly, uh, Paul calls them to account about these angels and visions. Now, that's strange to our ears. Um, the Jews had a very highly developed um, theology of angels as intermediaries between God and, 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 and the believers. Now, our quest for intermediaries is based on a misunderstanding of what the Bible says about our access to God. It is also based on a false humility that says, poor little me, I'm so little, God is so enormous, God is so great, and I'm so little and so insignificant. And he has much bigger and better things to think about than me. And therefore, I can't expect him to hear my little feeble prayers. So I'd better look for some angel or some saint that will, uh, is closer to him, that will kind of speak up for me, that will intercede for me. And of course, that's uh, not what the Bible has in mind. You know, the only intermediary that we need, the only one that can bring us to the Father is his only son, Jesus. And we must never for a moment think that our faith is so weak or our prayers so feeble that uh, he, we cannot be heard by him. The truth is that everyone regardless of their age, whether from the youngest to the oldest, from the richest to the poorest, will be heard by Jesus if they turn to Christ. Paul also warns about what he says, these false teachers. He calls them wise men, those who have visions. We, we would call them gurus and, and sages. People who claim to have a hotline to God and um, who claim to have some sort of secret knowledge and um, um, have, some, have secret things to teach us. And Paul says such people are total frauds. Of course, in the church, we do encourage, we nurture spiritual gifts within the body and within the family of God. And these may take the form of prophecy or words of wisdom, words of knowledge, and and we love them, these things when people speak under the power of the Holy Spirit. But these are, always, uh, these are always free. They're always uh, tested by the body. And they must never contradict the word of God in Scripture. Thirdly, Paul challenges those who who impose religious rules and regulations on Christians, telling them what they can and cannot eat. These are dietary regulations. And he warns the Colossians of the danger of slipping back into those complicated Old Testament-style Jewish dietary laws, which are no longer relevant under the New Covenant. In fact, Jesus said food was good. And he said what makes people unclean is not what goes into their mouths, but what comes out of their mouths, which I always thought was a lovely way of putting it. And of course, Jesus himself fasted. He observed 
fasts, and he, and he encouraged us as followers to fast and pray. But fasting is a voluntary, anything we do dietary is a voluntary thing, and it's uh, never to be uh, interpreted as a spiritual requirement. We do it to draw us closer to God, to help us in our prayer life, so it's good to fast occasionally. Many Christians, of course, advocate vegetarian or vegan diets or other special diets, and some of these are very worthy, but they must never be sort of presented to us as some sort of spiritual requirement that this is what God wants. You know. Finally, Paul talks about those who um, punish their bodies. He, he, he uses the expression uh, in verse 23, those who impose harsh treatment of the body. Well, those of us who go to the gym um, witness no end of harsh treatment inflicted on bodies, do we? But, <laughs> but that's, that's not what, <laughs> what Paul is talking about. Uh, throughout the history of, of the faith of, of the church, there have been those who felt that they've needed, this is a sort of Gnostic pagan thing that slipped into the church, uh, that, uh, that somehow we needed to bring our sinful flesh under control through practices such as self-flagellation and wearing of hair shirts and uh, taking ice-cold baths and the like. Um, I grew up in Mexico where every day you can see the pilgrims making their way to the shrine of the Virgin of Guadalupe. And some of these people walk for miles on their knees and some of them even flagellating themselves, beating themselves as they go along in propitiation and in penance for their sins. But the Bible says that all that is needed from us sinners is a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. That's it. When writing Colossians um, and urging the Colossians to, uh, uh, talking to them about their freedom, Paul was returning to an earlier theme, a theme, in fact, that he first developed in Galatians. And the key to what he says in Colossians, uh, in, in Colossians to us is actually found in Galatians. Here we find that Paul says in, in a famous chapter, chapter 5, uh, verses 14, 13, 14, he says, you know, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not let do not uh, use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. And it's here that we find that uh, we are reminded that Christ has set us free from in so that we should be free to. And um, free, that means free from the burdens of our past, free from the burdens of our own sins, and free to help to carry the burdens of others. Uh, free to serve one another uh, with love and, and humility. Within the church family, um, that means helping one another, uh, praying for one another, asking the Father to, by his, the power of his Holy Spirit, to build us up. Um, as true disciples of his son Jesus, that we may in turn go out into the world and set other captives free. That's our mission. That's what we're here for. So I want to end uh, with a couple of verses that uh, Valerie has already read to us, but I want to get back to them. 
uh, from Colossians uh, 2, uh, which is the, from the first part of, that we didn't read today. And the reason I want to go back to them is because these have really encouraged me and built me up during this, this season, this, this season of, of sermons that we've been in. So here it is. Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Amen.